What we're going to do this morning is I would love to read all of Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2 because there is a, a context that we have got to get. Acts chapter 1, Acts chapter 2. If we don't get the context, if we don't get what's going on in this section, it's just going to be, oh, Holy Spirit came. But there is a lot of anticipation that is going on here. Um, So Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2. Follow along with me. In the first book, O Theophilus, which he's referring to the book of the Gospel of Luke, okay? So in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. To them he presented himself alive after his sufferings by many proofs, appearing to them during forty days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized you with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, when when, or will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father is fixed by his authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up. And a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes. And he said, men of Galilee, why do you... Stand looking into heaven. This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will go in the same way as you will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. When they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. When they had entered and then went up to the upper room where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew and Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the zealot and Judas the son of James. All these were with one accord, all these with one accord were devoting themselves to what? They are devoting themselves to prayer. Together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. And in those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of persons was about 120 and said, Brothers, the Scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allowed to share in this ministry. Now this man was bought a field with the reward of his wickedness and falling headlong he burst open in the middle and all his bowels gushed out. I love this little kind of interjection here. (laughs) And it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem so that the field was called in their own language Al-Kadema, that is, field of blood. For it was written in the book of Psalms, may his camp become desolate and let there be no one to dwell in it. And let another take his office. 
So one of the men who had accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the, the baptism of John until the day that he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. And they put forward to Joseph called uh, Barsabbas, who was also called Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, You, Lord, you know the hearts of all. Show us which one of these two you have chosen to take the ministry, the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go his own way. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias. And he was numbered with the eleven apostles. So this is all pre-Pentecost. Jesus was taken up. The apostles were watching him, and the two angels showed up and said, well, why, why, why do you still stand looking up there? you got some work to do. So for ten days, Jesus ascended, and ten days, they waited, and they prayed, and they waited, and they prayed, and they waited, and they prayed, because there was a promise that was to be coming. They didn't know when. Chapter 2. When day, the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. What do you think they were doing? Praying. Yeah, they were praying. They were all in one place praying. And suddenly, there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together. And they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya, belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others mocking said, They are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these men are not drunk as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. It's like nine. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, the Lord declares, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. And your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants. In those days I will pour out my Spirit and they shall prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness, the moon to blood before the great day of the Lord comes. 
the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, the man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by, your ha- by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosening the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David said concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he's at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh will also dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You you will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I say to you, with confidence about the patriarch David, that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God has sworn with an oath to him that he, will, he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, And of that we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, He has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel, therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what should we do? And Peter said to them, repent. Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you, and for your children, and all who are far far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to Himself. And with many other words, He bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourself from this crooked generation. So those who received His word were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. This is the word of the Lord. So that's Pentecost. When I think of um, one of my holidays that I love with my kids is the 4th of July. If you ever go to a 4th of July uh, with children, one of the things that they do, all of a sudden, you know, first it's the, okay, Dad, is, is it dark enough now? What about now? What about now? When are they going to start? When are they going to start? When are they going to start? And you're just going, let the sun set. And they're, you know, they're constantly wondering. And suddenly it is dark enough. 
the band kind of stops because we do it in New Lenox. You know, we all kind of sit out there in our spots. And all of a sudden, you see that first flare kind of go up like this. And all of a sudden, and all of a sudden, their eyes just go, and then everybody else starts doing the, ooh, ah, you know, and you see everybody's eyes all looking to the same place, just waiting for that next, oh, I love that one, the squigglies or the, you know, there's this anticipation, and then when it's there, it's, you see all faces just alive and alert and watching everything. In the same way, the apostles, they had their eyes fixed on Christ, but he disappeared. But he disappeared with a promise. Saying, listen, this is a promise from the Father. And I'm reminding you of this. Wait in Jerusalem. Because there is going to be a gift better than any 4th of July. It is the promise of the Holy Spirit. And He is going to come in power. And when He comes in power, you are going to be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. And so for ten days, for ten days, they took Him absolutely at His word. For ten days, they waited and they waited And they met together in a room. They're not sure where. It could have been in a house. Some people believe that in one of the temple courts that there were spare rooms that could be rented out for service, for worship and prayer. They're not sure where it took place. Some believe it was in the temple court area because suddenly there was a noise that took place and everybody gathered. But whatever. They they were waiting for 10 days, praying Lord, would you come again? Send this promise. Send the Holy Spirit. For 10 days, can you imagine for 10 days? We can't even gather for an hour for prayer. But they were so fixed on Christ. They knew that He was the answer. He was it. He was the promised Messiah. And He was good. They saw Him resurrected from the dead. And there was nothing that could hold him back from the great, from resurre- the resurrection. He was alive and well. And for 40 days, he walked around with them. And he promised the Holy Spirit. And so for 10 days straight, they prayed. Lord, send your Spirit. Lord, send your Spirit. When, O oh Lord, Are you going to send your spirit? But God's timing is always providential. It's not lucky. It's providential. In His planning, this time of the year in the Hebrew calendar was what was known as Pentecost. The Feast of Weeks. About 50 days after the Passover, 50 days after the Passover, they would celebrate the Feast of Weeks, the Feast of the First Fruits, where they would bring together as a whole community, they would all come together and they would celebrate the first fruits of their harvest. The first fruit of their harvest. So whatever was growing in their field, whatever animals were giving birth in that springtime, they brought to the temple as a gift to God. These are the first 
fruits, God, that you have given us. Oh, thanks be to God. And so all the people were gathered. And you could see the picture where they were all coming from. They were, come, they were Parthian and Medes and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia. It basically, what he's doing is he is saying, listen, it is all the known world. North, south, east, west. Everywhere around. They were all coming together to celebrate the feast of weeks or the feast of the first fruits. And on that day, on the day of Pentecost, the day of the first fruits, the Holy Spirit was poured out. And did you see what the fruit was? If you look too quickly, you'll miss verse 41. So those who received His Word were baptized, and, and there were added that day a first fruit of how many? 3,000! The Holy Spirit came in such a way saying, listen, this is the first fruit This is the first fruit. New life. This is it. As my spirit comes down in power, you will see new life. The first fruit of the Holy Spirit in our lives is always new life. Always new life. God regenerating again in us today. New life. Bringing again to us new life. As we go back to our communities, always a first fruit has got to be what? New life. As the Spirit of God dwells in our lives, and as we go back to our communities with the Spirit afresh in our lives, what happens? Oh, we pray that revival takes place in our communities, with new life. I'm way off my script. We've got to notice what took place. One, they were gathered all together. This community of 120 people We're all together in one place, united in prayer, united in seeking God. I am sure there was not a group of them up there going, okay, so let's start planning things. They were waiting and anticipating something great. There were probably dreams and visions and hopes of what God will do when that Spirit pours out on them. But they were together. And if you go a little bit further in Acts chapter 2, you can see a picture of that unity. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship. And to the breaking of bread and prayers. So as they gathered together, 
in that first room, what they were doing there also took place later on. Waiting and anticipating, praying and being taught, fellowship and growing together as a family. There was a tremendous amount of things that were going on in them. But there was also, I, I, the Apostle Paul gives a wonderful, wonderful picture in Ephesians chapter 5 of what it means to be filled with the Spirit. So quick, turn to Ephesians chapter 5. And in Ephesians chapter 5, it talks about, uh, for those of you who need it, it is up here, 978. Um, in Ephesians chapter 5, it talks about what it looks like for us to be filled with the Spirit. And so here, here's what it looks like. Verse 18. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submitting to one another out of reverence. So you want to talk about what it looks like when the Holy Spirit comes and fills our lives individually and fills our church corporately. Ephesians 5 talks about it. When you want to be filled with the Spirit, what is the fruit of it? One, there is a definite way of communicating. First, it says that we are to speak to one another in a certain way. Address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. How, how, do, we, how do we communicate to each other? Does that mean that I just every time I talk to Heath that I have a well, I'm going to just rattle off what I've memorized from this piece of Scripture. Or are the words of Christ so embedded in my life, in my heart, and in my mind that I know how to speak and encourage Him with the words of Christ, which are the best words out there? Or when there are problems in marriage, I know how to address you with songs and hymns and spiritual songs, all these kind of words that God has given us. Through His Scripture, we encourage each other with these words, the words of Christ. We communicate differently than how the world communicates. We are a community of people who do not gossip. We do not gossip. We do not talk negatively about a brother or sister in Christ. Just this past week, Nathan and I uh, spent time in a, our elder meeting at 5.45 in the morning, on, on Thursday morning, in the rainstorm. We were in the basement of our house, and we were going through bylaws. If you want to get bored, read through a church's bylaws. But for us, we, ha- we have a section that we are incorporating in our bylaws about church discipline. Because discipline is critical in a family. You don't discipline your children, all hell breaks loose. Manitoba staff, 
you will see those children that are not disciplined at home. But one of the things that we, we addressed is that there can be no divisiveness that takes place in the family. No, no gossip can take place. And if there is, we quickly have got to discipline one another. We've got to follow Matthew 18 and just say, hey, as a brother in Christ, I am deeply concerned about how you are speaking about another person who has been created in God's image. I want to, I want to admonish you. I want to correct you. And I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you to treat them correctly. That's communication. Using the Word of God to lovingly put people back on track. Saying positive words as well as words that redirect. So communication is absolutely critical. Because these people in this first chapter or second chapter of Acts, they were united to the very core of their being. The absolute core of their being, they were united. They are focused on Jesus Christ. And they shared the exact same secret. And they discovered the joy and depth of communication because the Spirit of God was dwelling in them. And when the Spirit dwells in you, the Holy Spirit corrects you and changes you, convicts you of sin, and points you again to Christ. So all their communication is focused on Christ. The second thing that we see here in being filled with the Holy Spirit is that they were singing and making melody to the Lord with what? All your heart. I love going to uh, big concert worship venues. Even if you go to, uh, let's say, country music. How many country music fans do we have? Be honest. Let's pray for you right now. (laughs) Exactly. So... But you, you go to one of these concerts, whatever it is, everybody in these venues are worshiping something or someone. All of life is worship. It's a matter of what you're worshiping. But you get a song that everybody knows, and it just resonates. What happens to the whole crowd? Do they just go, oh, that was really nice. No, they stand up, they sing, they dance, they move, they are... They sing along, and after a while, you know, whoever's up there on the stage blasting, blasting out is hardly even heard anymore because the crowd is leading. Is that not true? How often do we have that in the church? Singing with all of our hearts. Really. Really. I'm sure that if you would ever take the position of a person leading up here, you would just go, are you serious? Is there anything going on up here or right here? I mean, your face does not look like it's filled with joy. Uh, most of you are kind of singing, Hosanna, with no lip movement. You know, I don't know how you do it. Um, but somehow it happens. You know, most of us guys especially pick on us. It's like, I am not moving my hands. 
I'm not singing at all. You've never heard my voice and you don't want to hear it. So my lips are barely... But here he says, if you are filled with the Holy Spirit, you are going to be singing and making melody. Some of us should just be singing, not trying to make melody or harmony. Uh, but with all of our hearts. And it's not because somebody is getting the whip out and go, whoosh, sing. But it's because your heart is so in love with Christ and the Spirit is dwelling in you in such a way that you are compelled to sing songs and hymns and whatever it is with all of your heart. All of your heart. I grew up in the tradition where we, we were the frozen chosen. And you know what I'm talking about because maybe you've been to one of those churches or you're, you're still the frozen chosen. We don't move. The only movement that we have is turning the page from one hymn to the next. But there's something about the people of God who are filled with the Spirit that when they worship Jesus, there is something electric. Electric. And on top of that, you see this idea of joy, deep joy. You got in Acts chapter 2, what were they doing? When they were filled with the Spirit, there was a great noise that was going on. And everybody kind of started going to that spot going, okay, what's going on up there? Because something's going on. Because there was like a mighty rushing wave of something was going on. Everybody came, and what did they hear? They heard voices, but what were these voices all doing? They were telling about the, the mighty works of God. They were so filled with the Spirit. It's like, oh, oh, what about this? And what has He done here? Let me tell you about this. How He's changed me. How He's changed that guy. How He's moving in this family. How He's changing in this neighborhood. How He's moved over here. Remember how He changed... He got that blind guy and he put he spit and made some mud and put it on his eyes. And he's seeing, he's even among us right now. He's part of the 120. Remember that guy who could not even walk and he dropped through the roof. Hey, he's right over here. Here's a mighty work of God. Look at what God is doing. Let me tell you another story. Remember when we were out on the boat? You guys were all here. Oh my gosh. And there was this huge storm that was taking place. That was absolutely amazing. And we were all freaking out. Remember, Peter, you were really freaking out. And Jesus Jesus was sleeping up in the front. And, and we all went up there and said, Master, Master, we're going to all die. What are you doing? And remember what he said? Yeah, he said, peace be still. <clears throat> Mighty work of God. Okay, now let's think about our joy in our communication. It's generally Americanized and very private. I don't want to, I don't want, you know, really get into your stuff. It's my private faith. But these people, when they were so filled with the Spirit, they could not help but tell the mighty works of God. First found in salvation, and then how He the signs and wonders and miracles that took place. No, church, I just pray that we get, we corporately are so filled with the Spirit that we cannot help but tell the world about the mighty works of God. I pray this week 
at Manitoba staff, you got a unique opportunity of being in a Christian setting that you fully enjoy that. Telling every student, every child that comes, every parent that you have an encounter with about the mighty works of God. The rest of us who might work in a more secular, kind of um, sterile, Christian sterilized environment, I pray that the Spirit gives you opportunities and that you move faithfully to tell with great joy, great joy about the mighty work of God. And that you're, maybe first, that your eyes are actually open to it. Where you see, oh my, did you see what just happened in this conference? Let me tell you about this. Do you see how God moved in this marriage? Let me tell you about this. You see how God provided in this situation, my workplace, financially, or in my, in my mental health, or in my physical health, or in my whatever, man, I have got to tell about the mighty works of God. Additionally, he goes on to say that in Ephesians 5, that another amazing thing that happens when the Spirit fills our life is that there is a tremendous amount of thanksgiving. They were giving thanks always and for everything. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. These were thankful people. We have to have a holiday to be thankful. And then it becomes a gluttony. If we could just spread that out to all the other days of being thankful... Could you imagine the difference that that would make? They were constantly thankful for what God was doing in and among them. And it, it, take, it takes a, an awakening. And I love that first song that we, that we sang. Awake my heart. Awake my heart. Awake my mind, my ears, my my eyes, awake my senses, Lord, to what you're doing. Oh, and as my eyes and my mind and my heart are opened up, I give thanks to the one who has given me these things. Even in trials, you see the Apostle Paul giving thanks for all things. Thanksgiving is a huge part. That's why sometimes I, I'm scared of our prayers of the people time. Do you know why? Because it's rarely riddled with thanksgiving. It's more, oh, Aunt Millie has a broken hip again. We need to pray for them. Or we need to pray for them. We need to pray. What about thanksgiving? I just need to thank God for this. And you need to hear about this. Another thing that is just absolutely beautiful in Ephesians 5 is found in verse 21. They were submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. That, that submitting word is a word that we'd really like to kind of take out of the Bible because submission, mm, not so keen on that. Uh, it's really uh, kind of a four-letter Christian word that we rarely... You know, in, in fact, in most, most weddings, 
people would prefer to take that whole submission out. I'm not sure how you do that as a Christian because it's in Scripture. But something happens to a Christian when they are filled with the Spirit. One, we are united to one another. I, through the Holy Spirit, am connected with Andrea, with Karen, with Michael, with Craig, with Ty. The Spirit does something in me where I recognize the work of the Spirit in all my brothers and sisters in Christ. And out of reverence of what God is doing in them and has done in them, I willingly submit to one another. It is a community of love and trust. Knowing that the Spirit of God speaks in and through these people just as He speaks in and through me. That we are able to submit to one another out of love. Because I am sure that as soon as the Holy Spirit filled them, all of a sudden, everything started to make sense. They remember back to that meal that they shared, that last supper that they shared. And they were all gathered around the table, kind of arms crossed, going, I am not washing his feet. I saw where Peter walked and what he stepped in. That is so below me. I refuse to wash his feet. Besides, we just had an argument on the road about who's going to sit on the right or the left-hand side of the Lord when he comes in glory. I will not do that. That is for a servant. And all of a sudden they go, oh, He said, as I've done for you, you should also do for others. So, I am out of love and reverence to submit to you and serve you. As the Lord has done for me, so I do for you. A mark of the church is that we yield to one another. That we submit to one another. And that's just not talking about pastor and elders and deacons to the church. That's talking across the board. That we submit to one another. As we submit to Christ. But if we stop there, we miss it. Because the Holy Spirit came. He filled the people. They started to do what? Did they immediately go out and just start doing ministry and social justice issues and start fixing houses and uh, you know, building churches and stuff like that? What's the first thing that they did? They started, as the Spirit filled them, what happened? They started speaking. They started speaking. Do you get that? Their mouths were opened. The Word of God left their mouth and impacted ears and hearts and minds and lives. 
the words went out. The first act was not let's build and create and do and fix things. The Spirit moved through words. And Peter stood up that day and testified. He used words first. Not exclusively, because we'll see later on throughout Scripture that it's, you've got to be faithful in word and deed. Faith without works is... Help me out. It's dead. Faith without works is dead. It's saying that there's absolutely no life. But it is also the church is going to be marked with its words. That does not mean that we go out with our pamphlets and stand on the corners and, and yell angrily at the crowds, passing crowds. Repent and be baptized! You especially! And you! But we lovingly get into the communities that we are embedded in. And we share the Word of God. And for some of us, some of us that freaks us out. Really? You want me to share the Gospel? Yes. That's what the first community did. They shared the Gospel with words. Their lives and their actions backed up everything that they said. It is absolutely critical that we be a people that use our words. Because the Word went out powerfully. Powerfully. Into the community. The Spirit, Holy Spirit, always brings new life. Always brings new life to those who believe in Jesus Christ. And with that life comes a continuing power to those who are continually filled. As the Spirit impacts our lives, it means that there is fire in our life. A fire individually and corporately that is burning away the Scripture calls it the chaff, the outside shell, the, the junk. It burns away that external stuff. It burns that away. And it moves out to others. As the Holy Spirit moves in us, it means that the truth of God goes forth from us in a way that we would have never dreamed of. The church should be the most creative entity in the world most creative entity in the world why because we are filled with the most creative god of the universe god has given us all the gifts necessary to reach the world for his his cause think about that That from us, the truth of God needs to go out in the most creative and most ingenious ways. In in the crafts that we do with the children. In in how we do barbecues in our neighborhood. In how we do business. In how we do our finances. The truth of God needs to go out in the most creative ways possible. The truth of God. And this means in how we communicate, in how we have joy, in how we have thanksgiving, in how we submit to one another. But first and foremost, it requires, it requires a certain 
emptiness. It's a certain emptiness. Because when Jesus left His disciples, He said in, in John fifteen five, He said, just so you know, apart from Me, you can do nothing. Apart from Me, you can do nothing. You are hopeless. You are objects of God's wrath. There is no peace in your life. Apart from Me and My work on the cross, you can do nothing. And we need to have that experience of apart from Christ, I'm empty. I'm alone. Alone. I'm just wandering out there in this landscape of nothingness. Dry and thirsty. And I am empty. I'm trying to find my meaning in who I date. In what job that I have. I'm trying to find meaning in my marriage. I'm trying to find meaning in in my this, in my that. I'm trying to find meaning in this part of the country, in that part of the country, in this person, in that person, in this money, in this. I'm trying to find meaning in all these things. And you're finding yourself absolutely empty. And Jesus says, but apart from me, apart from me, you can do nothing. And you hear His words say, I am the way. I am the truth and I am the life. Come to me, all you who are hungry and thirsty, and I shall give you a drink that lasts forever. I shall fill you with food that nourishes your soul. I shall fill your mind with, with dreams and visions and wonders. I shall fill you with power so that you can proclaim the wonders of God. But it requires us to actually admit, apart from Christ, I am empty. Destitute. And I trust in a room with this many people that there is at least one or two people when you hear these words, Yeah, I am alone. I am destitute and I am empty. And I so need Jesus. I need Christ. And I need this, this Holy Spirit, whoever He is. I need that person in me. To give meaning. To give clarity. To give joy. And if that is you, I want to invite you to have a very sincere conversation with me. And as we discover that that journey together, what does that mean? Who is this Jesus? Those of you who are feeling are believers in Jesus Christ. Maybe you're in this, this time where your, your life just feels shallow, kind of empty. There's not much depth. 
That's what the body of Christ is for. That we need to encourage one another. To be in each other's life. To speak truth and love and joy into each other's lives. I pray. I pray that we can be like this this Matthew Henry. Good old Puritan guy. Because this is what he said about this section, about the church. They were filled with the graces of of the Spirit, and were more than ever under His sanctifying influences, were now holy and heavenly and spiritual and more weaned from this world and better acquainted with the other. They were more filled with the comforts of the Spirit, rejoiced more than ever in the love of Christ and the hope of heaven, and in all, and in it all, their griefs and fears were swallowed up. I love it. That's us. That in Christ, all of our griefs, our fears are swallowed up. That we are different people as we receive the graces of the Holy Spirit. That, that is a, community of people I want to be a part of. I want to be a part of that kind of a community of believers. I don't want to be a part of a community of believers that come every Sunday morning just because that's what we do. I want to be a part of a spirit-filled, powerful community that is so in love with Jesus Christ that it just echoes out. So, they were gathered together and prayed. We are going to pray out loud. We're going to pray. And I'm going to encourage you if God puts something on your heart to pray for, Remember that it is a communication with God that is marked with thanksgiving and joy. But Peter also said that we have, have got to be marked also with repentance. And after we've spent some good quality time in prayer, I'll close up our time, and then we are going to come together. Those who believe in Jesus Christ and confess Him as Lord and Savior and are willing to submit to Him we are going to come together and celebrate communion. A meal that has been prepared for us by Jesus Christ Himself. But first, we are going to pray together as His disciples. My one request is, as you pray out loud, would you pray loudly? Maybe, Nate, can you kill the fans just for a little bit? Just so that, or... Todd? So we can actually hear each other? Oh. Why didn't we do that earlier? Let's pray. And it's open to anybody to pray. Let's pray.